A courageous man in our time, who is now retired from the Navy, John McCain, has written a book, White Courage Matters, The Way to a Braver Life. And in this book, he says something that I think is very good for all of us to remember when we are afraid, when we lack courage. Some of us are paralyzed at that time. But he says, we are taught to understand correctly that courage is not the absence of fear, but the capacity for action despite our fears. Action despite our fears. And this morning, I would like you to turn with me to 1 Samuel 17. That's page 278 in your pew Bible. And together we can discover or rediscover some truths about courage from David's life that we can apply to our own. You need to kind of hang on this morning because we're going to be going back and forth a bit within 1 Samuel, going back earlier into David's life and even before David was born to look at this tapestry of putting courage together and the call upon David's life. And I would encourage you this week to read 1 Samuel in its completeness and sit down and ask the Lord to show you more truths from this book and the verses in the outline, other chapters that you can look at. But right now, let's look at the facts of the battle in 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war. Saul and the Israelites assembled in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. And we have a map to show you just where this takes place in Israel. Here's the, in the red is where the Israelites were with Saul. And in the blue, Goliath and the Philistines, that jagged line in the valley of Eli. You see that river that runs very close to Gath. And Gath is where the Goliath, the giant, was from. And we're going to be talking about Ashdod as well. And right now we know there's conflict going on in Israel. This was about 3,000 years ago when David was 16, 17, 18. We don't know. But this was a, uh, a tremendous time of war in their country as well. This is the Valley of Elah and the the. Philistines would have been on this side and over here the Israelis and right down here you can see the brook the brook that David would have gotten the stones from and if we can move on to the next one yes uh, the brook crossing the Elah Valley right there this way to Jerusalem this back towards Ashdod and uh, we can also see that this is the the brook where David would have gotten the stones. There's still quite a few left. He had more to choose from 3,000 years ago. Some are a little bigger for him. But that helps us understand what was going on. And we see in verse 4 that a champion named Goliath from Gath steps out from the Philistine line after they're all lined up. Now this morning, I have two volunteers to help us demonstrate the size differential between Goliath and David. And would you welcome our David this morning, Ben Omen. Let's hear it for our young David. 
And representing Goliath at six feet four is Brad Asplund. But we need to raise our Goliath up a bit. What we learn from Scripture is that Goliath was nine feet six inches tall. He had bronze armor that weighed 125 pounds when he was walking around. The tip of his spear was 15 pounds. Some of us used to throw the shot put. You know, I never got a ribbon for that, but that was 15 pounds. Can you imagine a 15 pound tip of the spear on a big two by four and be able to throw that? That's the size of Goliath. He had his bronze helmet. He had a bronze javelin. He had a shield bear that went ahead of him. And could you go up that ladder right now? We measured this the other day. And Brad, when he's standing on his tiptoes right there, is nine feet, six inches tall. <laughs> Do you get the idea of that size difference? Do you get the idea why David could have been very much afraid? But if you guys will hold that pose one more time. What you do see is the size differential, but what you can't see is the size of David's heart, his passion to obey the Lord, his willingness to do what the Lord has called him to do. That's what you can't see in this demonstration, but we'll find out more about that this morning. Let's thank these guys for their help. Notice we spared no expense to get a brand new clean ladder, too. <laughs> Thank you, guys. And if, and if you think David is small compared to Goliath, he is. And sometimes you may think you're pretty small. And what can you do? What can you have for an impact? Remember this. If you think you're too small to have an impact, try going to sleep in a room with a mosquito. That mosquito has some influence even though it's very small. Well, getting back to 1 Samuel 17, 8, this Goliath would stand up, and on this particular time, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man. Have him come down to meet me. This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man, and let us fight each other. On hearing this, the Philistines' words... Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. What's it mean to be dismayed? To unnerve or detour by arousing fear, apprehension, or aversion. Everybody had an aversion to going out and fighting Goliath. And they were terrified to drive away by menacing. Goliath was pretty menacing. Nobody wanted to take him on. The next thing we learn as we look further in 1 Samuel 17 is that David had three older brothers. They'd gone off to serve under King Saul at the front lines. And Jesse, David's father, asked him to take three-fifths of a bushel of roasted grain. That would have weighed about 40 pounds. Ten loaves of bread, ten heads of cheese. And then find out how your brothers are doing and bring back a report. So David leaves early in the morning. He left the flock with the shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had directed. Now, what did he load up? 
We're not sure. I don't think he could have carried all that himself. He may have put it on a donkey. Scripture doesn't say. But the thing we know is that Bethlehem is 16 miles from the battle line. So if he got up early in the morning and let's say averaged four miles an hour, which is a pretty good clip, it would have taken him four hours to get to the battle line. That's half a day's work right there. But his his work hadn't even begun yet for the day. So he was a good guy. He was in good shape. And as he's uh, getting ready and, and drops, actually he arrives at the battle scene, drops off the supplies with the keeper of the supplies and food, runs to the battle lines where he's greeted by his brothers. And in verse 23, we read, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out of the lines in his usual defiance. And David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they ran from him in great fear. So what does the text tell us? So far, we've learned about Saul and the soldiers. They're dismayed, they're terrified, and they're in great fear. But young David has a different take. Look in verse 25. Just the wording here. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. What's David's perspective in the next verse? David asks, what will be done for this man who for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The soldiers said, hey, he's putting us down. He's putting Saul, our leader, down. David says, no, 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 no. He is defying the armies of the living God. That's his perspective. David has a heart that sees things differently. That's why King Saul and top commanders, they didn't know what to do to win. From a military perspective, they, they were scared. They were defeated. So all they could do is line up and yell at each other. Goliath says, send me a man. And Saul and the army says, um, all right, we'll, we'll work on that. We'll get back to you. We don't have a man today, but maybe tomorrow. And so there's this standoff, this big standoff. They just keep yelling at each other. And how many times had Goliath come out and ranted and raved? David hears it for the first time that morning when he shows up. But verse 16, what does it say? For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. 40 times 2 is 80. 80 times Goliath came out. Give me a man. Let's fight. Come on. If you win, we'll serve you. If I win, you'll serve us. Send me a man. And there was no man that would show up and take on Goliath. Saul was the king. He was head and shoulders taller than anybody else. He should have stepped up, but he was unwilling to do it. Now that we've looked at this background of the battle scene, let's look at some of the negativity that's thrown at David as he goes out to do the Lord's work. And if you see negativity thrown at him, don't you be surprised if there's negativity thrown at you as you go out to do the work of the Lord. The first thing is David needs courage to face his detractors. He had to withstand the put-downs from his oldest brother, Eliab. 
verse 28, here's one of the put downs. When, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and asked him, why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. Conclusion, you've only come down here to watch the battle. Get back and take care of those sheep. You're just down here wasting time. I'm the youngest person in my family that I grew up in. I have one older sister. How many other babies in the family do we have here this morning? Yes, I see those hands. And for all the rest of us, how many of us had an older brother or sister that occasionally put us down and would tell us how to do things? Boy, those of us that are the babies that had the older brother, could, could you have a little more sympathy for us? A little more understanding? We're kind of a uh, neglected group, a group that's had to put up with a lot of things. And so David's older brother tells David off, and David says, here we go again. All I did was ask a question. Give me a break. What did I do wrong now? But David's asking questions, and Saul is told about it. And that gets out. Why was he so angry? Why did Eliab burn with anger towards his brother? All he did was ask a question. Well, let's turn back to 1 Samuel 13. And there at verse 14, we read this about Samuel rebuking King Saul because he had disobeyed. It says, but your kingdom will not endure, Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And appointed him a leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And then if we move forward to 1 Samuel 16, starting at, at verse 6, when Samuel arrives in Bethlehem, the Lord had said, you know, I'm done with Saul. Samuel, get over it. We need to anoint a new king. So he sends him to Bethlehem. And this was several years earlier. Or a short time earlier, we really don't know the exact time frame, but a short time earlier, Samuel goes to Jesse's house in Bethlehem and calls the guys together. And as it says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks out the, at the outward appearance, but God, but the Lord, looks at the heart. But the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord hasn't chosen these. Even the prophet Samuel fell into that trap of looking at the height and the outward appearance. Eliab was rejected and none of the other brothers present were selected to be the next king. The Lord did not give the green light for Samuel to anoint any of them. Another challenge that David had, as we find next, is that David had to withstand being overlooked by his father. Look at these next verses from 1 Samuel 16:11 through 13. 
So he asked Jesse, Samuel said, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. So he went and had him brought in. He was ready and fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. His dad overlooked him. Do you have any other sons? Uh, Let me see. Yeah, there's that young one. But, you know, he's just tending sheep. You ever feel that way in your family when you were growing up? You ever feel that way sometimes as an adult? Oh, I'm just the guy tending sheep. I'm just the gal who, you know, I don't amount to much. People overlook me. That's what David had to put up with when he's ready to go out and slay the giant. All these things are going through his mind. From the text we've learned, David was a man after God's own heart. The Lord looks at the heart, not the height. The Holy Spirit has come on or come into David's life. He's been empowered. And my friends, so have you. So have I. If we are in Christ, the Lord's not looking at our height. He's looking at our heart. He's not looking if we're going to do it in our own strength. He's saying, I've given you the Holy Spirit. Do it in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what set David apart. So why was Eliab so angry with David? Well, Eliab was tall, all right, but he didn't have the right heart, the verse tells us, and he was rejected by the Lord to be the next king. Eliab was embarrassed because he and all the, old, all the other soldiers were cowering in front of Goliath. And Eliab didn't want David to say, go back and tell Dad, you know, your other sons, they're a bunch of wimps. You stand around, they yell at Goliath, he yells back, and they've been doing that for 40 days. I don't know if they need cheerleaders out there or what, but not much is happening, Father. That's why Eliab was upset. He'd been rejected. He wasn't going to be the next king. And he saw his kid brother, who even his dad didn't think was that important. He, oh, he's just out tending sheep. How come my kid brother gets to be the next king? What about me? His heart was wrong. That's what about him. What other problems did David have? Thirdly, David had courage to withstand it when his boss lacks confidence in him. That ever happened to you in your job? You ever had your boss say, well, you know, I don't know if you're the guy, if you're the gal to get this done. My friends, David lived 3,000 years ago, but this is very contemporary. When our boss doesn't have confidence in us. David had been playing the harp for Saul. And then he'd go back and take care of the sheep. Then he'd come back and play the harp for Saul. Look at verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart. There's that word again. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. You don't have enough experience. Besides that, you're just a boy. Besides that, you're pretty short. And you got other problems, but we won't go into those right now. David should have been crushed and said, all right then, I'm going back. But no, he stood his ground. He stood his ground. And 
verse 40 says that David took his staff in his hand. He went down to that stream, picked up five stones, put them in his shepherd's bag. That was his response to these put-downs. And finally, David had the courage to withstand the insults and curses from Goliath. Look at verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine and his shield-bearer in front of him kept coming closer and closer to David. He looked David over and saw he was only a boy. There we go again. Ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come out with sticks? And the Philistine cursed him by his gods. Goliath says, What's wrong with you, Israelis? Don't you listen? I've been asking for a man. Send me a man. Send me a man. And now you send me a boy. For the crying out loud. He also must have needed glasses. Because he said, you're coming at me with sticks. Well, he had his shepherd's staff in this hand, and he had his sling in this hand. To, to Goliath, it may have looked like another stick. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Dave was about to stick it to him, if you know what I mean. But... Goliath was upset, and he cursed him by his gods. Verse 44, Come here, he said, I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now, this isn't in the Bible, but I think he followed that up with, You know, good little runt, by the power of my God, Dagon, I'm going to make you wish you'd never come out here today. So he's throwing that at him. Let's step back to 1 Samuel 5. Who is Dagon? Dagon was a fish god. And if you recall, the Ark of the Covenant had been captured back in Eli's day. And the Philistines took it and they kept it at the temple in, in Dagon. It says, after the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the Ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face in the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon, put him back on his place. The following morning, when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. Here's a picture of Dagon, the fish god from Ashdod. Really a scary kind of God, isn't he? Wouldn't you be afraid if uh, Goliath said, by the power of Dagon, he's going to get you? And David may have said back, why, you fool, Goliath, you worship a dead idol. You're cursing me by the power of a dead idol? The last time we heard anything about Dagon in his temple at Ashdod was over 60 years ago. All he did then was bow down before the Ark of the Covenant. His hands and head were broken off. And today I'm going to take your head off, Goliath. That was David's response. Perhaps. We don't know what he said. But in, in Dagon, was at the temple of Ashdod, if you recall from the map. That's over on the coast. And that's, that's where Dagon bowed down before the Ark of the Covenant. So David said, I have nothing to fear from your God. Now we move to that next point that David had courage to tell the truth to Goliath. He says, I have come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, whom you've defiled. This was David's source of strength. 
Goliath was bigger. But he says, you've defiled the Lord. You've insulted him. I'm coming against you in his name because the Holy Spirit is in me. Why? What was his motivation? Did David want to prove his brothers or his boss wrong that they should have had more confidence in him? No. His motivation was to be a testimony for Jehovah. That the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. Your little wimpy fish God, he used to bow down to him. But I'm serving him and I'm coming in his strength and in his name. And thirdly, David said, as he tells the truth to Goliath, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. David declares whose battle this is. It wasn't his battle. It was the Lord's battle. And he was a servant showing up to say, here I am. Use me. And together, Father, we can take care of this giant. And at verse 48, we see what happens. David runs quickly toward the battle line to meet him. He wasn't afraid. He ran quickly and he took that stone, put it in the sling, whipped that thing around and bingo, right in the forehead. And down he goes. That knocked him out. So he took the sword and cut off his head. And what happened then, as we see on the map, is that the Philistines all took off and the Israelis chased them to Gath and to Ekron. And it was a great victory that day. God did his part, giving David a heart to bring honor to him. David did his part practicing with that sling out there watching sheep. He'd done this thousands of times. Thousands of times. He had done his part to get ready. And the Lord did his part to give him a heart of courage. And you see, that's what the Lord wants to do with you. What are you good at? What have you spent all of your life up to this point doing? That's what the Lord wants to use. He wants to use that aspect of your life. He doesn't want you to change and be somebody else. He wants you to be yourself in Christ. And let the Holy Spirit work through you. That's how the Lord wants to use you. And that's what David had had learned. And we have examples of courage here from Wyzetta. Brian, Susan, Brittany, and Molly Johnson are headed for Lima, Peru for seven months. They're going to be serving the Lord down there, following up on the work that they've done through English camps and others of you have gone down there and working with Stavroses. They're going down to serve because the Lord's given them a heart for that. And Brian and soon is going to be going to his boss and say, can I get time off? Can I get seven months off of a leave? And if the boss says no, Brian's going anyway. And what a time for the girls to be gone where they are in school to give up their friends and to go to another country to learn language and have a ministry down there. My friends, that takes courage. Another person of courage in our church is Lori Hedricks, Mark and Lori Hedricks. If you remember, they have five kids. And the first, uh, when I first came here, she, was, she had the quads and she was in the hospital. I remember visiting her. And their oldest son, Andrew, had been born. But the four quads that she was carrying hadn't been born. And I forget how many months she spent. She gave me permission to tell you the story, as all the people have today. But she 
had to stand alone. You know what the doctors told her? You can't carry the four. You need to do selective reduction. That's PC talk for you need to abort two of your babies. Because they're not going to make it. We don't want to lose all of them and we don't want to lose you. And she said, I refuse to do it. And she had to get a new doctor. Because the old doctor said, well, then I I can't. Her current doctor said, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to be responsible for it. And what they would have done is taken a needle with poison in it and gone inside the womb and the two lowest hanging babies would have gotten a shot of that poison and they would have been aborted. And she says, I know which two they were. It would have been Stephen and Chase, the two boys. They wouldn't be here today. But Mom showed courage. She stood against the counsel of her doctor. And aren't we glad they did? They were here for Bible school this week. I saw them. You've seen them. The Lord is good, and he gives us courage. Tough courage. That's what David had. Tough courage. Accomplishing something of significance in spite of my fear or overwhelming obstacles. Accomplishing something of significance in spite of my fear or overwhelming obstacles. The next point is the courage to hear the truth as we move to 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Now we fast forward to when David is 50 years old and has accomplished so many good things in his life. Speaking of courage and being 50, that takes a lot of courage. David was that age. For guys, it takes courage to go to the doctor once every 50 years. We've all been told that when you hit 50, guys, you need to go in for a physical. So there's this guy who went in for a physical. He did a stress test, some other tests. The doctor drew blood, and the doctor said, I'll get back to you in a few days with the results. Three or four days later, the doctor calls and says, you know, I've got bad news, and I've got worse news. The guy says, well, why don't you give me the bad news? The doctor says, you have a very rare disease. And you're going to die within 24 hours. The guy says, well, what's the worst news? Doctor says, I meant to call you yesterday. (laughs) It takes courage to be 50. And that's what David was. He had accomplished so much. He'd expanded the kingdom geographically. He had written many of his 73 psalms. Already, he'd honored the Lord in so many ways, but he was drifting. You don't have to be 50 to be drifting. It can happen in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 70s, 80s. What do we know from from 2 Samuel 11? He had an affair with Bathsheba. And in doing so, King David broke four of the Ten Commandments. The tenth one, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. But he did one night when he saw Bathsheba bathing. He had her come to him. They slept together. She got pregnant. The seventh commandment says, you shall not commit adultery. But that's what he did. The ninth commandment, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. But that's what David did. He had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, come home from the battle. 
And he said, hey, tell me what's going on. How's General Joab doing? How's the war going? Why don't you go home and see your wife? Because I'd really like you to have sex with her so you can be seen as the father, not me. He didn't go home. The next night, he said, come and eat at my table. And David got him drunk. And he said, why don't you go home and be with your wife? But he didn't. So what did David do? He wrote a note and he said, give this to General Joab. Uriah took that message back, unscrolled that note, and it said, Dear General Joab, could you please send Uriah up to the front lines where the fighting's the thickest? And then when in the thick of the battle, everybody else draw back. And he did. And he was carrying his death sentence in his hand. Now, if he were doing a bad soldier, he would have read that. And then he would have headed south or north or somewhere. But it was his own death sentence. And David caused his murder. Commandment number six, you shall not murder. David had lost his courage. He would lost his focus. He would lost his passion for doing what is right. It can happen to all of us. And in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, Nathan comes to David and tells him a parable. And he says, you know, there was this rich guy that had a lot of sheep, but he had some company stop by unexpectedly. And what the rich guy did was he took the only lamb, the little pet lamb from the poor guy. It was his only lamb. And he took that lamb and he slaughtered it and fed it to his company. And David says, you're kidding me. Why would he do that? David, this time, he burned with anger. Last time it was Eliab, his brother, burning with anger towards David. Now David is burning with anger towards this guy in the story. And what does Nathan say to David? You're the man. You're the rich guy that took the only lamb from the poor guy. You took Bathsheba. You took his only wife. You've got a harem. You've got the kingdom. You've got all this stuff. Why did you take it? And so, when Nathan said, you're the man, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. No excuses, no alibis, facing up to what he had done wrong. That took courage. To have someone come and tell you of your sin. We've all had times like that. Sometimes we listen with courage. Sometimes we say, yeah, but yeah, but this, yeah, but that. About a year and a half ago, our oldest son, David, came to me. And gentlemen, I want to warn you, and ladies, the same thing. If your child ever comes to you and says, I'm not coming to you as your son or daughter, but I'm coming to you as a brother in Christ. That is a warning. Flee. No, not really. But he said, Dad, when I was young and growing up, I felt like you had time for church people. And I felt like you had time for church meetings. But you didn't have time for me. That, my friends, hurts. Right here. Turn that knife 
And I listened and I said, David, I am sorry. Forgive me. As your father, I failed you. And he did forgive me. And our relationship was restored. And we have a fabulous relationship now. But he had the courage, the tough courage, to come and tell his dad, come and tell his pastor where I had failed. And that led for me talking to our other two sons. And the Lord does good things when we listen to the counsel of others. And that is... That takes courage as well. And what does David do? He stops his cover-up and universally declares his confession in Psalm 51. Hide your face from my sins, he says to the Lord. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Gentle courage, the ability to hear the truth about my life and respond in a way... That resolves the issue and honors the Lord. That's the key. Respond. To hear it is one thing. But then respond to that issue in my life in such a way that it clears up the issue and honors the Lord. That is gentle courage. Which do you think was more difficult for David to do? To use tough courage to face Goliath? Or gentle courage when he faced Nathan? I talked to some guys this week, and they agreed with me and my bias. I think it's easier to face those giants doing something we're good at than it is to face a Nathan who confronts us with things we don't want to hear, and we have to deal with these issues. It's difficult for us to do. It's much harder to use gentle courage than tough courage. What things might the Lord be asking you to do that will require tough courage? What things in your life may the Lord want you to hear that requires a gentle courage response? Just as Nathan said to David, you're the man. So let me throw out a couple of things to you as men and women. And these could apply in either ways. But perhaps this morning I'm the man or you're the man. It needs to deal with issues that hold you back from being the man of God you want to be. What would those issues be? You're the man who needs to listen to your wife when she tells you you're doing something wrong that is hurting her or the family. You may be the man who needs to tell a friend if you're struggling with temptation. What are your struggles? Tell another man. You see, that was David's problem. When he was younger, he had other people he could talk to. But when you're at the top, who can you go to? Well, you better figure that out and go to him so you can deal with those issues. Or they'll take you down just like they took David down. Perhaps you're the woman who needs to believe the truth that God loves you and values you. Or the woman who needs to forgive those who have hurt you or disappointed you in the past. Perhaps you need to let the Lord fight your battles in His way and in His time. That applies to all of us. Whose battle is that you're fighting? And how is your heart? Are you fighting the Lord's battle in your strength? 
That's what I have to ask me and myself. Is my heart wholehearted? Is it half-hearted? Is it divided? Is it pure? In comparison to David, look at 1 Kings 14.11 says regarding Solomon. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Would you pray for my heart to be fully devoted to the Lord as I pray for you? And may the Lord change our hearts when we as individuals or as a church are not wholeheartedly following him during this time of transition or when the Lord provides our new senior pastor. We need to have a heart that has courage. That's the heart of the matter is letting the Lord work in our lives and to have that tough courage like David did and the soft courage like David did. Before we move to our time of communion, John is going to come and and lead us at this time.